you'll be blessed by it. Psalm 139, let's stand for the reading of uh, God's Word today. We're going to begin with the first 12 verses of the chapter, and so we'll read responsively. I'll begin in verse 1, we'll begin together in verse 2 and read in that pattern, down through verse number 12. The Bible says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Together, Thou knowest my down-sittings and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest, me, uh, thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shalt thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. We're looking at our series, uh, My Walk with God, and specifically, My Progress. How am I progressing as I walk with God? And today, we turn our attention to a third and final sermon in this series, and we look at an intimate fellowship, an intimate fellowship. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, help us to lock in and engage and stay focused. And may your word move us to have a deeper, richer, more sweet, more intimate walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're visiting today, our target time uh, to be dismissed is around noon. Uh, we have a baptism following the service this morning, so it may be a few minutes after that. But just wanted to help you set the expectation uh, as uh, we move through the remainder of the service. A married couple of 25 years was driving down the road one day. The husband was driving the car, the wife sitting in the passenger seat. As they traveled down the road, they bickered and they argued. You married couples have never had an argument while driving down the road, have you? I mean, never. That's never happened uh, in your marriage. You've never been upset with each other and that kind of thing. So uh, this couple uh, was not like you. They actually fought while they were driving down the road. And uh, the next few minutes uh, were filled with tension and silence. They finished their fight, tension and silence. Then they stopped at a traffic light. And in the lane next to them was a young couple with just married uh, written all over their windows. The new bride was hanging on the arm of her stud husband. Love filled her eyes as she leaned in and whispered sweet nothings in his ear. And the angry wife in the car declared with her arms crossed, I remember when that used to be us. I remember when we used to be close like that. The husband didn't miss a beat. He quit back, honey, I haven't moved. I'm still sitting right here. It's you that scooted over. And so clearly the wife was not talking about their position in the car. She was talking about their disposition toward each other. Um, do you remember when you first fell in love with God? You remember that? Do you remember how wonderful He seemed? 
Some of you are in that right now. You've only been saved for a short time, and to you, God is just, He's just filled your heart with, with great love, and you think about Him all the time. Others of you have been saved for a long time, and as uh, John, or rather Jesus, through the pen of John, remind uh, the, the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You have forgot how wonderful I was. Listen, I just want to say, whether you've just been saved a few short days, weeks, months, or you've been saved many, many, many decades like I have, God still desires sweet intimacy with you. That's what He wants. That's what He desires. What does it mean to have or enjoy divine intimacy? Well, let's first consider the word intimacy by itself, okay? Notice this uh, statement here, this sentence. Intimacy is brought about from the desire to know and to be known. Intimacy is brought about from the desire to know and to be known. Some form of the word know in Psalm 139, some form of the word know is found seven times in this psalm. Uh, it, is the, it is the theme of the chapter, to know and to be known. Someone uh, very cleverly defined intimacy this way. Intimacy is defined as freedom from anxiety in the presence of vulnerability. Freedom from anxiety in the presence of vulnerability. There's nothing better than enjoying intimacy with a friend or a family member, a loved one. And I'm speaking this purely in non-sexual terms, okay? But intimacy, there's nothing better than enjoying intimacy, meaning that when you are in their presence, when you are with them, there isn't this wall up, the wall is down. You're vulnerable. Uh, you're not afraid of them taking advantage of you and hurting you. You're not afraid of being anxious or having great angst when you're in that environment. No, you're vulnerable in their presence, and as a result, you are free from the presence or the, the sentiment of anxiety. And what a great, great place to be. Now, the reality is that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And if I have a relationship with you and you have a relationship with me and we get close enough to one another, at some point I'm going to make you anxious and you're going to make me anxious. At some point when I come home, some days when I come home from work or I have a bad day just in life, maybe I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I come home and I'm sure my wife thinks, boy, I wish she'd just go back to work. All right. Now, that's not most of the time. But that is some of the time. And you know what? My wife, as wonderful she is, there are times where I'm like, you know what? I think I'll just go back to work. Good thing we live right next door. Amen? And so, um, uh, listen, and, and again, it, it very rare, hardly ever. But uh, listen, uh, we're all sinners. And all of us create environments at times where we're just not so nice to be around. We're, we're just not so uh, enjoyable to spend time with. But can I tell you something this morning? That as you spend time in the presence of God, He is always enjoyable to be around. You can always let your guard down and you can always enjoy freedom from anxiety in the presence of vulnerability as you spend time with God. Now, uh, we all have, if you will, several veils, veils uh, the, the, that create a layer to who we really are deep down inside. Uh, say you have seven veils and you may let a stranger that you meet on the street uh, inside of the outermost veil. So six veils, uh, you keep six veils uh, of who you are in between you and a stranger. And, 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 and maybe you let a distant relative that you see at a family reunion in behind that second veil. And you may let the pastor or a counselor in behind the third or fourth veil during a counseling session. And you may let a 
spouse in behind the fifth or sixth veil throughout uh, a duration of a marriage. But very few, if anyone, ever lets anyone behind that last veil. Behind that seventh veil, if you will, there is uh, where we call, the uh, rather where you enjoy your innermost thoughts, both good and bad. You ever had a fleeting thought come in your mind and leave and go, oh my, that was, I can't believe I thought that. That was horrible. I don't ever, I would be embarrassed if even the people closest to me know, knew I even had that thought. That's that seventh veil, if you will. That's that innermost of who you are. And I'm not giving you theology. Right? The seven veil thing is something made up to help make a point. It's not anywhere in Scripture. I just want to make that clear. Who you are behind that last veil is who God knows you to be, whether you like it or not. He lives there. He lives there. That horrible thought that you had, God knows about it. Alright? And uh, you think, I wish He didn't. Well, He does. So... You just have to accept that right now. Why? Because God knows you. The first part of the sermon this morning, we're going to highlight just how well God knows me and He knows you. Uh, we're going to talk about how intimate God is with us. A famous philosopher once said, Know thyself. Know thyself. It is one thing to know thyself. It's another thing entirely to have thyself known. God created you with a desire for intimacy. Everyone has that desire. All of us do. All of us want to know someone deeper. All of us want to be known on a deeper level. But the reality is this requires vulnerability. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to take you down a, a, an ideological thought journey right here. So engage with me, alright? Intimacy requires vulnerability. Listen now. Vulnerability requires trust. Can't be vulnerable. You, you shouldn't be vulnerable to someone you don't trust. Now, the more I spend time with God, the more I trust God. Some of you don't trust God, and as I talked about in my sermon last week, it's because you don't know Him. You don't spend time with Him. It, to know God is to trust Him. If you don't trust God, it's because you really don't know Him. To know the heart of God equals trusting Him. So, vulnerability, um, intimacy requires vulnerability. Vulnerability requires trust. Trust with God uh, requires that I spend more time with God. The more I trust God, the more vulnerable I make myself to Him. The more vulnerable I make myself to Him, the more intimate fellowship with Him I enjoy. So therein lies the process. I, I, I spend time with God. I trust Him. I trust Him more. I trust Him more. I become vulnerable. And as I become vulnerable, I enjoy intimacy. So I'll go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where it started. And God made Adam and Eve and put them in that garden. Uh, and prior to their fall into sin, what did He daily do with them? He walked with them. He both talked to them and listened to them. He communed with the hearts of this couple. Uh, Adam and Eve enjoyed intimacy with their Creator without the curse of sin getting in the way. I propose that God made you for the purpose of intimacy. Uh, he made you with the purpose of knowing you. He wants to have intimate fellowship and He wants to worship you. Now, let me give you a quick parallel and we'll get into the, the meat of the message. Marriage 
uh, parallel here. Marriage is built on the principle of love and reverence. Love and reverence. So to the degree that a husband loves his wife uh, and a wife reverences her husband to the same degree that couple enjoys deep intimacy. So as the wife reverences, respects, reverence is a deeper word than respect, but reverences her husband and the husband loves his wife to that degree, intimacy in the marriage is enjoyed. So likewise, watch this now, likewise to the degree that we spend time in the presence of God, worshiping or reverencing Him, to the same degree we will begin to understand and appreciate the great love that He already has toward each one of us. As I progress in my walk with God, I enjoy an increase in spiritual fruit. We looked at this two weeks ago. I enjoy uh, an intensity in my faith, and I enjoy an intimacy, or rather an intimate fellowship with my God. So uh, those are the things that come about uh, when we walk with God and we do it right. Increase in spiritual fruit, intensity in my faith, and an intimate fellowship uh, with my God. So let's jump right into the outline this morning. If you're visiting, you may not know this, but on the back of your bulletin, you'll find a fill-in-the-blank outline. You can use the pen you got with your visitor bag, and we'll be filling in those blanks as we go this morning. I encourage you to engage with the sermon. Let's jump in this morning and see four powerful truths about intimacy out of the 139th Psalm. Number one, notice God's comprehensive knowledge. God's comprehensive knowledge. Look at Psalm 139 and look at verse number one. We're going to read down through verse five. The Bible says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. There's that intimacy. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Uh, if the catalyst, now listen up, if the catalyst for intimacy is the desire to know and be known, then you can rest assured God knows everything there is to know about you. So the great preacher from yesteryear, A.W. Tozer, he worded it this way. This is so well put. Listen here. He says, God knows uh, instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and um, and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, uh, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, uh, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven, in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil. Evil, heaven, and hell. Because God knows all things perfectly, no, uh, no, He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wanders about anything, nor, except when drawing men out for their own good, does He seek information or ask questions. God's knowledge is quite comprehensive. Letter A, notice, He knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 139. The Bible says, uh, Thou knowest my down-sittings and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts 
afar off. All right, verse 2 there. Um, uh, according to a medically sourced article on Newsweek.com, the average person completes 6,200 thoughts daily. 6,000. I have no idea how they measured that. Right, I read the article and they went into great detail explaining how they came to that conclusion. And, and I was impressed enough to put it in my sermon here. I, I was, I was uh, satisfied that they knew what they were talking about. But 6,200 complete thoughts daily. And God knows, watch this, every thought of every uh, one of all 8 billion people walking planet earth every day. So if you want something fun to do later, don't do it right now, because that would require pulling out your cell phone, and I don't want you to pull out your cell phone in church, all right? Uh, but, um, amen. Uh, eight, unless you're using the Bible app, that, that's acceptable, amen? All right, so 8 billion times 6,200 is a number that broke my calculator on my cell phone, all right? 8 billion times 6,200 is a gigantic number. That's how many thoughts approximately are thought by humanity daily. God knows every thought of every person every day and for all of the history of humanity. The word here is the word ineffable. And ineffable means incapable of description, indescribable. We cannot even begin to comprehend or explain the greatness of our God. He knows every thought we think. Letter B, notice... He knows your ways. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. Uh, look at verse 3. Look at Psalm 139, verse 3. The Bible says, Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Now, technology can do some pretty fascinating things. Sometimes I stop and pinch myself wondering, did that really just happen? Right? Have you seen these robots that roam around the, the grocery store? I think Stop and Shop's got them. Man, those things are scary, right? I, I think that they're going to run me over. Um, I guess they're supposed to report spills, or maybe it's, you know, Big Brother just seeing where I, I, don't, I, I don't know what's going on there. Or uh, the robots that vacuum and mop floors. Some of you maybe own one of those, what do they call them, Roombas that go around. and That's amazing. Um, or these self-driving robot cars. Or the robots that assemble the cars in the factories. Or how about this? We've all gotten used to this one. These robots that wash your dishes, they're called dishwashers. Yeah, those are robots. Did you know that? Uh, how about these robots that wash your clothes? We've gotten used to those over the last half century. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Many of us wear a step counter. One day I opened the settings on my smartphone only to see that it had been tracking me everywhere I had gone over the last several months and years. Did you know your cell phone does that probably? Okay, so I turned all that off. That scared me. When I realized that my cell phone knew everywhere I had gone for like the last five years, whoa, okay, that's scary stuff. That, that's a lot of information for someone, that someone could use against you. And uh, I'm not up here preaching conspiracy this morning. That's just, that's just what happens. Uh, for me, it was eerie, all right? But long before GPS sensors and step counters were a man-made invention, God was already doing all this. 
What is fascinating is that God not only knows where you go. Watch this now. He knows why you go there. He knows what motivates you to get up in the morning and go to the gym or go to the store or go to, the, or go to work or go to church or go to the refrigerator. Amen? Uh, whatever it is that motivates you to get out of bed and go, He not only knows uh, where you go, He knows why you go where you go. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. Letter C, notice, He knows your words. He knows your words. Psalm 139 and verse 4. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou knowest it altogether. It has been said that an articulate adult speaks enough words in a week to fill an entire textbook and in a lifetime enough words to fill an entire college library. God is familiar with, knows, and remembers every word that you and I have ever spoken. My kids will come to me and say, Dad, you remember when you said... And I'll say, no, I... I and it, it's an honest... I, I don't remember... Yeah, you know, five years ago, in this scenario, you said this. I didn't say that. There's no way I... Oh, you said that. I, I know you said that. And better than my children's memory of what I said is my wife's memory of what I've said, right? It is immaculate. And so, God, uh, I, we forget what we say, but God knows every word that we say. Every single word. He doesn't forget it's scary when you stop and think about it because uh, the Bible says that one day we're going to give an account to God for every word we, we, we speak. Matthew twelve thirty six says, But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Think about that college library of all the words you've spoken and having to give an account of every idle word that's come out of your mouth. At the end of most days, I unwind with my wife and we build emotional intimacy by sharing, uh, I, I build emotional intimacy with her by sharing with her my life as we have been apart. I share with her my thought processes throughout the day, where I have gone and conversations with others that I have had. And then I listen to her as she does the same with me. God already knows these things about us. He already knows. But He wants us to come to Him in prayer anyway and lay our emotional, relational, physical, and really all life's struggles down at His feet and commune with His heart and then allow Him to commune with our heart through the Bible. God's comprehensive knowledge. Number two, notice God's constant presence. God's constant pre presence. I knew a married couple once that spent every waking moment together. They worked together, shopped together, did the laundry together, so on and so forth. They claimed that they got along great and rarely ever fought with each other. And I would just say, if that is true, they deserve high praise. Alright? High praise. <laughs> I can't operate that way. Full transparency here, I enjoy my alone time, all right? I do. Um, sometimes I go out on my back porch and I tell my family I need a few minutes alone. You know, it's funny. I go out on the back porch, slip out when no one's watching, and uh, I hear the back door open like 30 seconds later. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And um, 
you know, I'm polite. I just say, hey, Dad needs a few minutes by himself. And uh, they, uh, they'll leave me alone. I need my alone time. Um, sometimes I go on a long car ride just to be by myself. Sometimes I'll walk around the hardware store or sit in the park wanting no intimacy with anyone, just wanting to be alone. How many of you can relate this morning? Good. So you like to be alone too. Then why would you come to church this morning? You ought to want your alone time, but not Sunday mornings at 10.30. Amen? You ought to want to be at church with your siblings in Christ. David is going to highlight for us that God is ever-present in this point, uh, in these next few verses. You, you can't get away from God. You can't. It almost seems to me, and I could be reading into the verse. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I could be reading into the verse. But it almost seems to me in verse 5, that David feels a little smothered by God's presence. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. David says, Thou hast beset me behind and before. Now that word beset is a strong, strong word, meaning hemmed in. All right, You got me hemmed in. Look here. And laid thine hand upon me. Almost as though David is saying, I can't get away from your presence even when I try. And, and, and your hand of chastisement, your hand of punishment is upon me. This verse strongly implies to me that David felt hemmed in and that God had put his corrective hand on him. There are tensions in every relationship and that would include my and your relationship with God. God is ever present and that means that when we are misbehaving, he is there to correct us. And that may at times be uncomfortable. David goes on to talk about how that there is no escape from the presence of God. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A. Death does not hide you from God. Death does not hide you from God. Look at verse number 8. He says, If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Some people think that they can uh, end it all uh, by taking their, their life and uh, that uh, all their troubles and, and heartaches will be gone. Suicide is not an escape from the presence of God, but rather a deeper understanding and realization of God's presence. Obviously, we know that God is heaven, but did you know God is in heaven? But did you know that God is also in hell? Contrary to popular belief, Satan is not in charge of hell. God is in charge of hell. And the scary part about hell is that God's love is absent. You can't find any of God's love in hell. People say, "Oh, I, I, we're, li we're we're in a living hell right now." My friend, no, you are not. Your life is filled with the goodness and blessings of God around you, whether you know it or not. Amen. Go outside for a walk on a cool, crisp day and just experience the blessings of God in nature around you. See a child in the grocery store with all of its sweetness and innocence on their face and the cuteness that God puts in the, 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 just the, the life and innocency of a child. And, oh, my friend, you're, you're in no hell. You're in no hell. Get around people who genuinely love God and want to love you and you'll realize that you are in no living hell. Put yourself in a place where you run from and try to cocoon yourself away from the love of God. And what that ultimate place is, is hell. Because in hell, there is no love of God. In hell, all you can find is the wrath of God. 
if you're here today and you do not know God personally, let me strongly encourage you to make that change. Hear what I'm about to say. God loves you. But that does not mean God has to love your sin. He hates your sin. But yet He loves you. Sin breaks off any intimate relationship with your Creator. But God wants to reconcile and renew that broken relationship. We've all heard the story of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Do you know what the life of Jesus is all about? It's all about you and me. You see, Jesus came so that He could reconcile all of humanity back to Him. And if by faith you will ask Him, He will forgive your sin and He will rescue your soul from the condemnation of hellfire. Now, if you die without having believed in the finished work of Christ, His death for your sin on the cross, His resurrection from the grave, if you die in your sin, then hell is inescapable. The wrath of God will be poured down on you for all of eternity. But if you accept what Jesus did on the cross, the olive branch of reconciliation is being extended to you. And He he wants to forgive you if you will by faith reach out and receive His gift of eternal life that He purchased on the cross with his own life if you will extend your hands by faith he will give you eternal life he will pardon your iniquities he will forgive your trespasses he will uh, uh, he will save your soul and he will seal your fate in heaven the reality is death does not hide you from god it only makes you more understanding of his presence letter a death does not hide you from god letter b distance does not hide you from God. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 of Psalm 139. The Bible says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Many people like to run from their problems. Things tough at work, get a new job. Things tough at school, switch schools. Things tough in a marriage, divorce and remarry. Taxes too high in your state, move to a different state. People run from problems and people run from problematic people. David said, no matter where on earth I go, God is there. God is there. You remember the story of Jonah, right? God said, go to Nineveh. Uh, uh, and God said, go. What did Jonah say? He said, no. All right? God said, go. Jonah said, no. Instead, he went and uh, he got uh, a ticket. And he got on a boat, board a boat, and he went the opposite direction. Tarsus is on the southern coast of uh, what we now know as Spain. And so he couldn't have gone any further. He was trying to get as far away as he could. And he got on that boat, and God again said go, and he got thrown in the water, and Jonah said, whoa, as he's being thrown overboard. And then uh, he thought, well, that's it. I'd rather die than do God's work. And so he's falling through the water, and lo and behold, a great giant whale came along and swallowed him all. And he sat there for two or three days, and then again God said go. And this time Jenna said, oh, I gotcha. 
I understand now. I know what you want from me. And so that fish did a U-turn. He came back around over by Nineveh and vomited him up. And he came flying out of the air. You have to, excuse me, I used to be a children's pastor. And he landed two feet first and took off running toward Nineveh. And he, got, and he did what God wanted. You know what? Jonah tried to run from God. And what he discovered is that you cannot put enough distance between you and God. Because no matter where on earth you go, my friend, God is there God's care or rather God's um, uh, uh, constant presence Uh, we see that uh, death does not hide us from God and darkness does not hide us or you from God notice uh, letter C darkness does not hide you from God look at Psalm 139 look at verse number 11 if I said surely the darkness shall cover me even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both uh, are both alike to thee. So whether you're trying to get away with something in the dark or you're trying to get away with something in the light, it doesn't matter to God. He sees you the same in both. You can say that God has the best night goggle visions, night vision goggles that have ever been made. He sees you everywhere you are. John, uh, Jesus said in John 3.19, And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Uh, cookies in the cookie jar are much more likely to be secretly eaten in the dark corner of a bathroom than in the middle of a well-lit kitchen. How many of you are good cookie thieves? Right? Sometimes as parents we sneak a cookie because we don't want our kids asking. Right? We have permission and we still hide our cookies. Right? And so you you reach up and you look around and make sure no one's watching and you reach up and you get that cookie out of the jar and then you do the palm hide. You know what the palm hide is, right? You tuck it in with your fingers into that palm and you just kind of use your body to shield and you walk over to a place where you close the bathroom door. Mom needs a minute. Dad needs a minute. Or the kids are in there. i got to go to the bathroom. Lie. Digging down on that cookie, right? Using the darkness to hide. Uh, We were, my mom... Bless her soul. She watches some of my sermons. Mom, if you're watching this, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. There were seven of us in the house at one point growing up, and my mom was a food sheriff. I mean, handcuffs and all. You get thrown in prison if you weren't careful. And uh, she knew. I mean, mom. you say moms have eyes in the back of their head. My mom had ears hidden in the kitchen. I don't know how she did it. She'd be on clear on the other side of the house, and that chip bag would rumble in the pantry. And she not only knew chips were being taken, she knew who it was that had their hand in that chip bag. And she'd start calling out names, and she was right about 80% of the time. And I, I, you listen, uh, uh, you try, uh, my mom would say she baked cookies, and she'd say, uh, we had this broken down very carefully, okay? Uh, you can have a cookie, that meant one. Uh, you can have... Um, uh, you can have a couple of cookies. That meant two and no more than two. Uh, you can have three cook, or you can have a few cookies. That only meant three. That was very clear. No more than three. We rarely ever got told we could have a few. It was usually a cookie or a couple of cookies. And so we would hunt out the biggest ones, right? And, and take those. But listen, uh, when my mom made cookies, I wanted those cookies. I wanted them. And so I'd wait for the path to be clear, the stage to be clear, the coast to be clear, and I'd go and I'd, I'd, I'd be a cookie monster. You know who saw me hiding in the corner, eating my cookie? The Lord did. And probably my mom. But the, the Lord did. Listen up now. In your 
desire to steal and kill and destroy and take that which doesn't belong to you and lust and covet and take things that you shouldn't have and violate the laws of God and do wrong, whether it's in the darkness of the corner of your mind, whether it's in the darkness of the corner of a bathroom, whether it's in the darkness of the corner of a bedroom, whether it's in the darkness of the corner of a, of a meet-up place with someone you shouldn't be seeing uh, doing something that's wrong. Uh, you may not have a spouse see you. You may not have a pastor see you. You may not have a parent catch you. You may not have your children discover your uh, indiscretions. But my friend, darkness does not hide you from the presence of God. He knows. He knows. You cannot get away from God. His constant presence. Number three, we see God's caring heart. God's caring heart. Some of the most beautiful words in the book of Psalm are found right here uh, in Psalm 139. It, It is quite intimidating when we realize just how much of us God knows. It can even feel quite intrusive. But God's motives are not to hurt us with His knowledge. His motives are to help us. Why? Because He loves us. Letter A, notice His personal touch. His personal touch. Look at these verses. Psalm 139. Look at verse 13. If you're not in the habit of following along as I read, I'm asking you to make the effort right now to look down at verse 13. David says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. 15. My substance. Notice that word substance. We're going to come back to that in a minute. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. And curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance. Look at these next three words. Yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in a, a continuance were fashioned, were fashioned, when as yet there was known of them. How intimate does God know you? Look here, that word substance... In, in today's day and time, that same Greek word translated into English would be our word embryo. Embryo. My embryo was not hid from thee. Look there in 16. Thine eyes did see my embryo, yet being unperfect. When do, the, the, there's a great debate raging in our world today about when life begins. Substance in this verse again means embryo. David says... When I was yet being unperfect. Or before I was complete or whole in my mother's womb, you were shaping me. You were, notice the words, fashioning. You fashioned me. My friend, God was with you and He knew you from the very moment that your parents conceived you. David says, I am Fearfully, I am wonderfully made. Uh, Why, David, are you fearfully and wonderfully made? Because the Creator of the universe Himself fashioned me in my mother's womb. Uh, His hand was there fashioning and, and, and molding and shaping me when I was yet just a clump of cells developing and growing just as God reached down in the clay and formed Adam and just as God reached into the side of Adam and took a, 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 a let's see, a rib and formed Eve. God reached into uh, your parents or your mother's womb and He custom built you with your mother and father's genetics. That comes from the heart 
of a caring creator. His personal touch. God shaped you. I, I warn the church of this regularly. I'm going to slip it in again real quick right here. Be very careful about complaining about your physical appearance. You are saying to God, you made a mistake when you gave me this feature. Be very careful about that. The, the tone of skin color that God gave you, He chose just for you. The color of your eyes, the distance apart your eyes are, the size of your nose, your height predetermined. I read an article this week, there's a doc, there are doctors now that know how to break your femur bone, extend your legs to make you three to six inches taller. That's crazy. How about this? We learned to... I don't want anyone breaking my femur bone. Amen? Can we just get that out of the way? And I'm six foot two, so I definitely don't want to be six foot five or six foot eight. Uh, but even if God had made me be five foot two, be content with the height that God made you. Amen? Be content. His, his personal touch, let her be noticed, his precious thoughts. Now, someone knowing a lot about you, that, uh, let's see, knowledge is power, right? And God knows more about you than there is to be known. He knows you far better than you know yourself. What is God going to do with that knowledge? Now, my friend, a lot of people live in fear that God is going to, like, bonk them on top of the head with some kind of a, a stick or hurt them in some way. Look, if God wanted to do that to you, He would have done that to you a long, long, long time ago. Look at 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them... They are more in number than the sand. Wow. When I awake, I am still with thee. David says, I have no problem being vulnerable with God because I know God loves me. He thinks about me. David says, if you took all the thoughts that God has had about me individually, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the planet. His thoughts are precious. The question is not, does God intimately know you? Watch this now. Here's the crux of the message. Here's the crux of the sermon this morning. The question is not, does God intimately know you? But rather, do you intimately know Him? He thinks about you every day. Do you think about Him every day? His thoughts of you outnumber the grains of sand. In comparison, do your thoughts of Him even come close? Even though you are sinful and flawed, His thoughts of you are precious. He in every way is perfect. Are your thoughts toward Him full of doubt and questions? Or are they pure and precious? You see, as I progress in my walk with God, I see Him and I know Him deeper and deeper and deeper. And as a result, I trust Him deeper and deeper and deeper. And as I trust God... I open my heart and become more vulnerable with Him. And as I grow more vulnerable with God, I enjoy a deeper divine intimacy with my Creator and King. David then turns and asks God to search his heart so that he can love and trust God with a more perfect intimacy. Number four, lastly, notice a candid plea. A candid plea. Letter A, notice, David says to God, he says, Expose my heart. Expose my heart. Look at Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Read those next two words with me. Could you do that? Here we go. Try me. Try me. Now watch this. It wasn't that God had anything new to learn about David's mind, will, and emotions, or his heart. Because God already knows. Alright? But David confesses that God knew David better than David knew David. And God knows you better than you know yourself. David cries out and says, search me so that I can better know the sin and shortcomings of my heart. Are you willing to say, Lord, here is the keychain to every corner of my heart. Here are the key to every door in my, in my heart. You have access to go in and look in every room and search it. Right? White glove inspection time. David says, there are things in my life that are inhibiting a deeper intimacy with you. Here are the keys. Search me. Reveal it. Letter B, perfect my thoughts. Perfect my thoughts. Look at 23 again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, look here, and know my thoughts. Have you ever said or done something unintentionally offensive only to have someone else help you realize how rude you were? Oh, I have. I've said things before and I'd meant nothing by it. It was an innocent statement. And I've had people come up to me later and say, do you know how rude you just came across? What? I wasn't trying to be rude. Well, this is what you said. Well, that's not what I meant. Well, that sure is what it sounded like. David says, God, I lack the self-awareness of how watered down and perverse my thought life is. Lord, expose to me how wicked my mind is and help me to think thoughts that are pure toward You. David cries out in the end of this chapter. He says, expose my heart. Let her be. Perfect my thoughts. Let her see. In verse 24, he says, purge my steps. Purge my steps. Look at verse 24. He says, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do you remember when you first started coming to church and you discovered through the Bible that something you were doing was wrong? You may have thought, what? I've been doing that my whole life. What do you mean that's wrong? Right? There's no way that's a sin. Are you serious? These, man, look, God, I asked you to save me. Now what? Okay? You want me to change up everything? And uh, listen, God says... Or David says here, look, I, I've done wrong, and, and, and I want to know not only in the big sins, but I want to know in these sins that I had no idea. Look, for everybody in here this morning, we all know, thou shalt not kill. That's a no-brainer. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And uh, that's a no-brainer. And thou shalt not covet. Okay, I, I may do that sometimes. You may think to yourself, but I get it. But when God starts saying, hey, that substance needs to quit going in your body, you think, what? Like, are you serious? And you read a little deeper and God says, hey, those locations you should not, you know, attend. And God said, and you go, but I've been going there my whole life. Hey, that relationship, that friendship, you're unequally yoked, but I love my friends. David says this, he says, purge my steps. Cut away those things that are keeping me from being all I ought to be in, in Christ. Letter D. Again, we're building intimacy in order to build intimacy with God, we need Him to expose the heart. We need Him to perfect the thoughts. We need Him to 
purge the steps, the last thing you should ask God to do is lead my path. Lead my path. Look at verse 24. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. An intimate walk with God that is uninterrupted is the most joyous, peaceful place that a child of God can be. Why? Because it is the way everlasting. It is the path and purpose for which God created you to begin with. Who are the people that hate God? There's a section of verses I skipped. I was going to work it into my introduction. I had some wonderful things to share. For sake of time, I cut it out. All right, and I'm not going to go back here. There's some verses there that talk about the enemies of God. And David says he hates them with a perfect hatred. You know, who hates God? The people that don't really know God. Because to know Him and to be known of Him is the sweetest place that you could be. He knows everything about you. Church, here's my question to you. How well do you know Him? Oh, I don't just mean the stories of the Bible. I don't just mean some verses that you've memorized. I mean, how well do you really know Him? You cannot know Him unless you spend time in His presence. And as you do, you get yourself to a place where you make yourself vulnerable to Him. And in that vulnerability, you enjoy a sweet intimacy, a sweet fellowship. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed this morning. I have tried very hard in the calendar year to sell you on walking with God, on having a heart for God. We've talked about having a prayer life. And some of you heard the series of sermons on a prayer life and you had every intention of beginning a prayer life and it never happened. I've tried to sell you on reading your Bible and and, and doing so daily and meditating. And you've had every intention and it just hasn't happened. Christian, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Do you have a heart for God? Or are you so selfish you only have a heart for yourself? Do you have a heart for God or are you so consumed with work? That's all you think on. Do you have a heart for God or are you just stuck on material goods? Boy, this morning we come to a realization that we cannot be fulfilled until we learn to become vulnerable with God by walking with Him. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there's some things in my life I need to tweak and change. And I need to get real with my walk. I need to get real with my time with the Lord. Here's my hand, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I see your hands. I sure hope that today you'll go home and make some real changes. It's not enough to feel something in your heart in an invitation. Well, you've got to go home and real change has to be made. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Christ alone. I know that when I die, I know that I'm going to heaven. That's my testimony. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? You're certain you've been reconciled with God. You've put your faith in Him alone. Very good. You can put your hands down. Is there one here this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't know that. I know God hates my sin but loves me, and I've not yet been reconciled to Him. I've not yet had that made right. Pastor, here's my hand. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just hold it up? I don't know. If I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? I don't see any hands, but if you're not certain that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven, Pastor Andrew standing down front right here. He would love to take the Bible 
and to show you. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed.